Third and eight at the 15. Blitz on. Nua Woodbury back, setting up a screen. Hits a Hill at the 15. A lot of room to go. 20 up the middle. 30. He's all by himself. Isaiah Hill in a foot race to the end zone. At the 30, at the 20, at the 10, at the 5. It's a touchdown. Welcome to week number six of EIU Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Rich Moser. On this week's episode, we talk with current Eastern Illinois head football coach, Adam Cushing. The second year head coach talks about his start in the business, following an older brother that played in the NFL and his philosophy in running the Panthers program. First, we would like to thank this week's EIU Athletics Partner and Restaurant of the Week, Lambo's BP and Domino's Pizza. Stop in for a BP blast next time you fill up for gas. With locations in Charleston, Mattoon, and Tuscola, a Lambo's BP is near you. With Domino's Mix and Match deal, you can get two or more items for just $5.99 each. Order online today at dominoes.com. In Eastern Illinois Athletics news this week, our guest on today's EIU Panthers podcast, Adam Cushing, was named to the NCAA Division I Football Oversight Committee as the lone coaching representative. He joins Panthers Athletic Director Tom Michael, who recently began serving on the FCS Football Selection Committee with his appointment starting on September 1st. This week's Tuesday Top 5 features the top goal scorers in EIU women's soccer history, and our Friday Catching Up feature is with Trey Sweeney from the EIU baseball team. For the latest information on EIU athletics, follow us on Twitter at EIU Panthers or online at EIUPanthers.com. Now for this week's episode of EIU Panthers podcast with second-year EIU football head coach Adam Cushing. And welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers podcast. We're joined today by EIU head football coach Adam Cushing. And coach, welcome to the program. Hey, Rich. Appreciate you having me. Excited to do it. Now, this is a little bit normal. Right now, we would be uh, gearing up to play the day we're going to air this would have been the opener for the football season this fall against uh, Indiana State here at O'Brien Field. And instead, you guys, a, a much different fall than maybe anything you've ever experienced in your athletic life. Yeah, that's certainly true. It's, uh, I, I can't even tell you, 1993 would have been the last fall I had without football. So it's uh, it's been a, a minute or two since then. So. Uh, so yeah, I think um, as we as we work through this and figure out how to uh, you know how to spin it to our advantage, that's certainly you know an ongoing process. Now you guys are fortunate to be able to do some things. So I, I, we're going to walk through a couple different things today. Uh, I was out there watched you guys were able to start practice second week of school. Kind of EIU follows a policy when teams are out of season they don't practice the first week of classes. So. You guys were able to take advantage of what's called, I guess, the 12-hour the rule right now where you can get some, some weights and conditioning, but also get a little bit of on-field time. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, the, the, the current NCAA guidance is 12 hours, allows us um, helmets on the field, also being able to use a football, right? And so it's a, a non-contact activity, so we're not running team offense versus defense or or even seven on seven, but able to 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 learn football drills and and again, as you look at it from from just the long game, the long perspective, um, really allows us to to truly teach exactly the way that we're going to want things done when we're able to truly ramp up into contact football practice. So so that that concept where the the newcomers have their heads spinning sometimes, trying to figure out not just 
where to be and what, you know, what to wear and, you know, and how to approach every practice, but actually executing the drills before even you talk about getting to the team aspect. So I think it, it gives us an opportunity to kind of bite off those smaller chunks here at this point and really teach, having great detail on our teaching um, and being able to emphasize a lot of really still important things. And, and in the end, we're going to win football games on offense if we learn how to protect the football, right? How we, if we can have great ball security, we can do all of our ball security drills at this point. And we're going to be great on defense if we run to the football. Well, we certainly can rep running to the football. So if we can run to the football on defense and protect the football on offense, we're going to end up winning a lot of football games. And so um, we're able to still emphasize what's most important. Now, you mentioned there, and the key word, I think, when you mentioned the 12 hours is being able to actually touch a football out on the field. I guess for people that don't understand football in terms of there's, a, there's seasons that go with it. There's the normal fall everybody thinks about where you're getting ready to play the games. There's spring ball, which they see on all different levels, which there is some contact in the ball. The un, I guess, documented or summer season is when they do a lot of strength and conditioning and you can do things, but you can't touch the football during the summer. So having it now is very key. Yeah, you're not kidding. I mean, there's, there's a lot of chunks out of the year probably really that, that we don't touch the ball at all with the guys, right? That we have to literally, if they want to get their throws in, if the quarterbacks want to run a, 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 um, a workout with that, we have to run off the field as coach. Hey guys, no, don't pick that up. Yeah. Literally it's against the rules for us to be out here for it when you're in that eight hour segment. And so you're in that eight hour segment from January, basically through March, and then from May through the end of July, right? And so there's a lot of chunks of time where you're really in that, um, in that eight-hour rule. And so for us to be in the 12-hour rule instead and have a football, have a helmet, right? And, and just our receiver coach is probably the one that talks about it the most is just, you know, catching the ball through a helmet, through a face yeah. mask is so different. Uh, and our ability then to actually coach that up and control the drills that are done with the quarterbacks and receivers and, um, and, and just have, you know, actual football pads out there. Our D-line coach able to actually hit the sled is a totally different deal in this 12-hour period. So you said it very well, right? This is, for, for somebody that's not into football all the time, this is a drastic difference than what you normally have in an off season and, a, and, a, and an opportunity for us to use it to our advantage. Now to kind of steal the cliche that you make lemons out of, or make lemonade out of lemons when that, when life kind of gives you that 80 new guys on the roster over the last two years, I guess if you were going to look at the, you know, the silver line in this is what you just talked about is those guys need to learn how to do it the way you want to do it here at Eastern and at the division one football level. Yeah, you know, we, we've, again, we just continue to say, it. we've been saying it since March, what does this make possible? And with 80 newcomers, it's learn how we want it done um, is number one. Number two, with those in that group of newcomers, a lot, a big group of our offensive and defensive line are newcomers, right? If you just look at the roster itself, you'd say, wow, they weren't here two years ago. They weren't here, to, you know, yeah. and, and so let's get them bigger and stronger. And we have an opportunity with this 12 hour segment to still have a four day a week strength cycle. And I think that's in incredibly important at this point for us to, I mean, again, protect the football and run to the ball. Yes, we can go drill those two things. How else? 
controlling the line of scrimmage. Those are the three ways you win football games. And for us to control the line of scrimmage, we need all those newcomers to be bigger and stronger human beings and ready to, to win a couple of OVC championships and, you know, in the 2021 calendar year. And, um, and then the other thing that, that I think is probably um, maybe most underestimated is, you know, you're, you're trying to build this, this team, this culture of, of family, of true connection to one another. And on a normal year, you spend January through July really getting that group tight. But January through really middle of June is just the varsity without any of the newcomers involved in that. And so now what does this make possible? It makes possible that, that our freshmen and our newcomers get to be part of that same connection, get to have that connection to their teammates before really just being tossed into the fire with them. And, uh, and I think that this is going to give us a great opportunity for our team to be closer as an entire 110, you know, person roster before we actually step on the field together. Now, one of the things, and um, we'll, we'll talk about this here in a second, is rules are of the most, most utmost importance in the game of any sports, but in football in particular, especially during this unique fall where some teams are playing, some leagues are playing, some, some are not. You were recently named to the Football Oversight Committee, so congratulations on, on that appointment there, Coach. And even more so unique is you're the only coaching representative on that league that's made up of a, a handful of student athletes and then administrators. I guess talk a little bit about what that committee does and maybe some of the, the hot plate issues that you guys are, are working on right now. Yeah, well, it, what's neat about that committee is is the um, truly the variety of topics that that are you know that are approached because it's always the, the the focus is advancing the game of football and and really advancing the student athlete experience um, within the game of Division One football and so um, trying to to have a, a number of um, different things hit, hit your plate. And it's just, you know, it obviously changes throughout the year, right? And so as it changes throughout the year, um, the, you know, and again, just, just recently being part of it, I, I don't have all of that background, yeah. but it, where we're at right now, certainly the, as you just mentioned, right, there's, there's two different groups of Division One football, those playing this fall and those not playing this fall, and so trying to keep it as as cut and dried and simple for both groups, I think, is is really important in the midst of so much continued uncertainty, right? And so then trying to figure out how to then get to the point where the the fall season and the spring season can have a balance together, that the fall season and the spring season can work together, and then importantly, not dramatically alter the next fall season, right? So that the sooner that we can get some sense of normalcy, quote unquote, yeah. right? The sooner that, 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 you know, the game of division one football will be back to where it is. So, so there's a lot of things, quite frankly, that, that are on the play right now that, um, that are like everything else, just constantly keeping, um, a pulse on the reality of the situation, right? You, this is not, I think a great part is that no decisions are being made in a vacuum. There's an understanding of the reality of, of the world right now and, and how that affects every different piece that fits into this. So 
Um, it's, it's an exciting opportunity, certainly absolutely honored and, and, um, and humbled to, to be, you know, to be part of it and, and to have this great opportunity to, to work with such great individuals to advance our game. Now you touched on an interesting point there and talking about how, when you guys are looking at football right now, you're looking at not only a spring season, but the impact on the fall season. And I think there, there's two different ways of looking at this. If you're an average fan, you're sitting at home and like, Hey, I would love to watch 22 college football games in the calendar year of 2021. If you're a football coach and an athlete's body, not the athlete's mentality of wanting to play, but their body, that may not be a reality. Yeah, I think that the, that balance is is going to be really important moving forward, right? It is what is what does the fi- what are the final decisions for for spring twenty twenty one? It can't again can't be made in a vacuum. It can't just be well. This is great for spring of twenty twenty one, right? And this is yeah. great for the twenty 2020 twenty and the twenty twenty one calendar year, you know, calendar school year, I should say, to to satisfy the football season. Well, there's another reality, and it's coming really quickly on the heels of that, 20, you know, that 2021 spring season, that um, that that all decisions have to make sure that there's there's some part of that, and at the very least, understanding of what the impact is there, if not, you know, an absolute um, an absolute consideration of the impact, right? Yeah. Maybe there's some things that you can talk about that won't actually, you don't have to say, well, this is going to, you know, we, we have to take into consideration, but we have to understand what it's going to do, right? Where there's other things, as, as you mentioned, right? When you start talking about the volume of football games um, in a single calendar year, um, then it's starting to f- figure out how to, how to balance it accurately and in what's the best interest of the student athletes. Now, for you, Coach, you, you kind of grew up around the game of football. Your older brother uh, played at the University of Illinois a couple years ahead of you, and you guys ended up playing kind of the, the, the same position. If I, if I look at that correctly, is that somebody you kind of always – I, I want to say – I don't know if idolized is the right word, but maybe looked up to or had a little bit of chip on your shoulder that, hey, look, I, I need to be one step better than him at the same position. Yeah. Uh, yes. And my, you know, growing up, he's five years older than me. And so it was, it was always very fortunate growing up that, that, he, that there was that distance because we weren't constant adversaries. There was certainly some disagreements, right. But it was more of that, um, that idol, that, that this is how, how it should be done. And, and when you look at the arc of his career through, high school, college, and then playing pros, he, he did it. He did it the right way and, and earned it and earned it the hard way. And, um, and my, my personal playing career pales in comparison to anything that he accomplished. But, um, but the, I mean, it, it, to the point where I probably rebuked it some at the very beginning, I wanted to go, I actually played inside linebacker for a year until the, until the coaches said, no, no, no. You play over there, you know, that's, that's what Cushing's do. And, um, but yes, I mean, certainly very fortunate to grow up with that influence, with the influence, with the understanding, again, as a division three athlete, with the understanding of division one athletics, um, seeing it firsthand, being part of it firsthand, and then just always having somebody that, that I could talk to on a very personal level to push me, but also to, 
you know, to be there for me and, and understand a lot of the challenges I was going through as a student athlete, regardless of level, and then involved in the game as long as I've been um, somebody in my own personal life away from anything here at Eastern or anywhere else in my career that, that I can have that conversation about and, and he gets it. He just, he gets football and, and that matters a lot. And then again, without, um, without his uh, understanding of the game, he probably wouldn't have gone as far as he did, right? His, his uh, football intelligence and his just big picture thinking is, is tremendous. Now, for you as a player, you played collegially at the University of Chicago. And for people that understand the history of college football, University of Chicago in the heyday was, was a founding member of the Big Ten Conference and, you know, a powerhouse institution. Not so when you, when you played there many years af after football started, but how ingrained is that tradition when you go to play there that realize that that's kind of where some of the grassroots of the, of the game start? And then my second question is, is and I've, I've heard this as a rumor and as a player and as a student there, is they developed some, some nuclear things underneath the, the football grandstands. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of questions there. But, yeah, so um, I think one of the neatest parts, uh, honestly, about the University of Chicago is, is on our visit, on, on a recruiting visit, you walk into this room that has – all of these football history, right? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, you don't want to call it a museum because it's not that sterile, right? But you look at these things and I mean, this is literally football got its, it, it, the first Heisman Trophy is right there, right? The first Heisman Trophy winner, Jay Burwanger, right? It's sitting there and then you've got all these other things about the history of the Big Ten, right? Amos Alonzo Stagg and and his impact on the game, right? There's a great book out there called Stags University that, that um, you know, it, it's not required reading for a University of Chicago football player, but any University of Chicago football player is probably uh, just as nerdy as I am and is going to read the book, right? So, um, so it's it, that the the history there is is apparent from the minute you step on campus, and and you take some pride in that, right? You take some pride in in that, and and. Certainly our, our time there, we, we got it back going and, you know, had some conference championships. And I think that that was, was not insignificant to us that, that, you know, that we were starting to get it back in that same track of, uh, of success in the big picture and, and, and at the national level. Uh, but, and yes, to answer your question, the, uh, the, the, um, the atom bomb was, was developed underneath the old football stadium. The stadium is, has since moved where it is, you know, true University of Chicago fashion. There's a library where it used to be, but there was a series of tunnels where you walked in, um, Einstein and Fermi and that whole group walked in and, and um, went to the underground tunnels to develop it and walked in with like their, um, their gym stuff on looking like they were just going to the gym um, in order to keep up appearances oh, wow. right there during the, uh, during the war. Very interesting there. So you go to the University of Chicago, by, by no means um, Division three school, so you're, you're paying your own way or you have some academic money. At what point in time in your parents maybe writing a check there, did you tell them, I want to be a football coach for, and what was kind of their reaction? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, if whenever my mom listens to this, she's probably gonna, gonna say that, um, you know, her continued urging to 
to major in something else and, and get into something else was, uh, was always there. Um, I think quite honestly, the, my, my original love for football came or love for coaching, I should say it came during my high school career when I did a Christian service project for, um, for our requirement for our graduation and, and coached some little league baseball and my dad was a coach gr uh, growing up, so I was around it. My dad was a rugby coach at the collegiate level, so I, I always kind of had that in my life. And then, um, and then had some people in my life that were also got into coaching, and and just thought, you know, this is something impacting young people the way that that a coach can, right? I, I've I tell the, the story often if my life was changed by by my high school football coaches that, that cared about me enough to pick me up off the ground by my face mask and, and coach me with enough love and tough love to truly make me understand what I was capable of. And I think as I spent more time around college football it, in that environment, I thought, man, this is, this is it. Right. And, and so so yeah, I don't know that they were uh, they were thrilled at the time. I'm, I'm hoping at this point they <laughs> they could see that it that it worked out somewhat okay for me. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't know that that was the uh, the goal with the with the check they were writing to the University of Chicago. Certainly. So you graduate from there. You you get in to decide coaching is maybe the path you, you at least want to explore at first. You go out to California for a couple of years, get your feet wet as as a graduate assistant, like a lot of people do getting into any really athletic profession, but in particular coaching. And then you, may, you catch what maybe the big break of your life is you, you, you connect on there at Northwestern and coach Randy Walker, who I, I know has since passed away, sees something in a young Adam Cushing. And, you know, that may, I guess, kind of what was that moment like that that had to be life changing for you and probably something you, you probably will always remember. Oh, well, so I, I again, yeah, I, re I returned to, the, to Northwestern originally as a graduate assistant and had one of those. And I, again, I've, I've said it to, often, to many people, but, you know, sometimes right place at the right time and, and better to be lucky than good um, really works out in, in lots of people's favor. And, and after spending a year there, the tight ends coach at, at Northwestern left at an unusual time for the college football hiring cycle, right? He left right at the end of May and early June um, to pursue an NFL scouting position, which is around when those turn over, but coaches don't usually turn over in that time. And so, um, you know, in, in the way that only Randy Walker could, right, he, he, his, he hired me by saying, you know, if this was February, I'd probably conduct a national search and go find a really good coach. But but it's June, so I'm going to hire you, you know, and, and it was, I think, probably half tongue-in-cheek, you know, maybe half serious, but at a, at a young, as a really young coach, benefited by having been there for a year and and been around, and, and what was so important to Coach Walker was was coaching the culture and coaching attitude and coaching investment, and um, less important than than the than your absolute technical skill right the, the most important to him was culture attitude investment that if we can get the young men to all buy into one another have a great attitude every single day and work their tails off we're going to be really good and and that was proven over the the long course of his career and um and i think what you would see in all of coach walker's hirings was 
he hired people he knew for sure was going to be able to do that. Meaning he hired so many of his graduate assistants along the course of, of his head coaching career that, that he, he wasn't just, that wasn't just lip service to him. He wanted those three things coached as hard as he can possibly coach them. And if he believed that, I mean, he, again, very jokingly said to me in his office when he gave me the job, I could probably teach a circus animal to coach the tight ends. I want you to coach the culture. I want you to coach the attitude. I want you to coach the investment. And, um, and so that is a, a lesson that has stuck with me to this day. When you talk about what's important with hiring coaches, technical skill is absolutely phenomenal. And, and it's, it, it, what it has become to me as a head football coach is the bonus, right? Is, is if you find the people that truly want to invest in the young men and, and get the right things out of them, then you're going to have a, a great opportunity. Now, I think a lot of people will use that same analogy to use a basketball one that sometimes you've heard the people that have followed the Butler basketball program is they'll say the Butler way or at Gonzaga with their success in basketball, the Gonzaga way. Is that maybe the, the same feeling you got there that there's a, a Northwestern way of doing it, especially knowing that, that sometimes the kids you're going to have to recruit are going to have to be a different kid academically than your, your peers in the big 10. And other than Chicago is a great place to recruit to, but, you don't have some of the other bells and whistles that, that some of these other Big Ten schools are offered. I think, it, it, you know, I think you say yes somewhat. I think in the end it's, it's that um, – and, and there, there is. There's, there's, there's a different young man, and that has transitioned somewhat in, in the recent developments up there, certainly with, with the new facilities and, the, you know, the, the investment into the program is just absolutely unbelievable. And, and Coach Fitz has, has elevated that that program to to what it's um, you know kind of being on the precipice of what it's capable of, right? It, it, you know, consistently competing for championships. But but again, I believe it's it's not something that um, that just lives only there, right? I believe that it's you have to believe it in your heart, and if you have a group of coaches and players that believe that and truly live that culture in their heart every minute, um, then it can, it can be moved wherever, right? And I think that was my excitement um, about the opportunity to become a head football coach, was, was taking that tremendous model from Randy Walker and Pat Fitzgerald and, and having an opportunity to impact more lives with it, right? And, and because the, the young men that, that went through that program in my 15 years there certainly benefited tremendously from that type of commitment on a very team broad level and really wanted the opportunity to to bring it to more people you know take what what I believe that coach Walker and coach Fitz have done to make the world a better place through football and use it to do that on my own as well and, and create that branch, right. And, and continue to spread it throughout the world and, and throughout America. And, and, and in the end, it also, if you, if you follow both of their careers, it also allows you to win a lot of football games yeah. in the process. And that's certainly a big, big part of the fun too. Now you talk about winning, you guys come through your first year here last season. I'm, I'm sure not the way you dialed it up in terms of wins and losses, but I think when you, you go back and reflect on it, you can see that you guys, one every week in terms of improving from where you started week one to where you guys ended up at the end of the season, even if that final game wasn't a win. 
but there was one win in there. It was near the end of the year. I guess kind of what was that emotion like kind of knowing that, you know, getting that off of your back, the, the first one is maybe always going to be the most memorable. Yeah, I will, I will remember it. Uh, you know, you can see back here, there's the football that, uh, that says first win on it. Uh, that one will stay with me for, for a long, long time. And, um, but I think what you just mentioned, I think the most significant and as a staff and a, and a team that we've talked about since that we're, we're most proud of is that, that the guys stuck together. There was an incredible amount of adversity and challenges and heartbreaking last second inch losses. I mean, and that's not an exaggeration, right? In the, in a couple of cases. Uh, uh, so um, the fact that the team just kept on sticking together and fighting and scratching and clawing and then, and then having more adversity keep on coming to win the first game in November when, when they're, they'd already been piled on over and over and over and over again, um, just proved that, 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 that what we were just talking about, that that culture, that that idea that we talk about, about your best, if you give it every day, it will improve the next day, right? It will stretch. It's this wonderful thing that happens in life, in all aspects of life, that, that they just kept buying it. They just kept believing that if, that if we just keep on giving our best, that at some point, right, that at some point that, that tipping point's going to happen and we're going to break through. And, and as crazy, you said it well, as crazy as it is, we were playing better football after that win. We, were, we continued to get better. We faced some, some competition. We, we faced some more challenges, some more injury issues that, that you know, kind of continued the roller coaster ride for us somewhat. But um, and we didn't have the competitive depth to absorb that, but the guys there, you could still look at a huge part of the roster and say that they were playing their best football in our last few games of the season, still com competing to get better and better and better. And that's what has us all around here. Coaches, players, supports, have everybody excited for the future is that continued buy-in. Now, one of the things that I that I, I saw when I was looking at the, the football oversight committee, and I know part of that is your active, how active you are with the AFCA, the American Football Coaches Association. And I came across, a, I think, a podcast you maybe did in, in the spring that talked a little bit how after your first year being a coach, you kind of went back, and I, and I think you'll probably continue to do this the rest of your career, and evaluate what worked, what didn't work. And, and you kind of, you said you noticed some things that you thought were maybe at one level that maybe they weren't exactly there and you guys kind of reevaluated your approach to a few things in the spring, trying to clean some things up going forward. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, what I, what I realized was I was the one that screwed it up last year. Right. And, and um, the reason was, as we kept on um, encountering more and more adversity uh, and having more challenges and all these things hop onto a really young football team. And I started to let all of that um, make me start searching for perhaps a different answer. And, and so when I, at the end of the year, when we, when we asked coaches and players, what is our culture? What do we stand for? And, and instead of getting three answers, got about 20 which I recognized that was my fault. They heard too many different things from me. And if you, you know, you can look at my really, really complicated way of doing this on my sticky note to make sure that, 
that it, every single day I don't get outside of the, of what is the most important and keeping the focus on that constantly. And I think that that's going to be our biggest room for growth from year one to year two is on an individual level, everybody kept on committing to that day in and day out growth, as I just mentioned, but I put their focus in too many different places. And again, I, I really believe there's no growth without admitting where you've made some errors. And so without the, the top on the, on this sticky says clarify and simplify, stop making it any harder than, than the very basics. Um, and then make it really clear and hold everyone around here accountable to that standard and that view of the culture and that vision. And if we do that and everybody has the same consistent beliefs, then in, when, when some adversity hits and the boat starts rocking, right, then, then truly everyone is pointed in the same direction, right? And, and I think that's what, um, what is my job and where I had the most, my, me personally, had the most room for growth from year one to year two. We're joined by right now, yeah, you head football coach Adam Cushing. We're on EIU Panthers podcast. Coach, we always try to wrap these up with a little lighter things. And so you grew up on the south side of Chicago last year. You were fortunate to throw out the first pitch before a, a, a White Sox game. I guess you've been a White Sox fan your, your whole life, which will answer, may turn off some of our fans that listen to this that, that are, you know, fans of the North Siders. But I guess kind of what was that moment like? And then who was your White Sox player that I guess maybe you idolized kind of growing up? And I know you're, you weren't a baseball guy, you ended up being a football guy, but that's who, if I could be play baseball, that's who I'd want to be. Yeah. Um, to, to answer the first part, I mean, the, the throwing out the first pitch, um, <laughs> guaranteed right field, I mean, just absolutely. Uh, and sometimes even Comiskey slips out of my mouth yeah. still. Right? I, would, I still call it that, so, and I'm, but I'm not a White Sox fan. I'm a, <laughs> right. Uh, new Comiskey even, yeah. right? It, it's a, and, and I couldn't even tell you, probably 92-ish or something like that where, where the new one was built. But, um, yeah, uh, incredible moment, you know, and, and that was that was my first sport love as a kid was, was baseball and, and pitching and thought that that was my future and, you know, can remember – at 10 years old thinking I'm, I'm going to be pitching in, in Comiskey Park and I'm sitting there in the old green seats with the, with the yellow chipped paint rails and all the other stuff, you know, those, those vivid memories that you have from those experiences. So, so it was absolutely awesome. And, and so thankful that, uh, to have that opportunity and, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly the, <laughs> I, I think the, <clears throat> the future and, and is, is pretty bright for that organization right now, which is, which is kind of fun. Right. And just, but thinking back to those players growing up, um, you know, there, there was a group of guys with, boy, you think about Frank Thomas and Mark Burley and Paul Canerco, that crew that, you know, and then a number of those guys were on that, on that, um, on that world series team. But, you know, I, 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 I would say probably growing up when I first started getting into it, I wanted to be Jack McDowell. I thought that I was going to be out there on the mound, you know, throwing, throwing split fingers the way he was. And then, and then probably, you know, as you transition, I think Mark Burley was probably the guy that just, I've spent so much time watching and loving his, his whole approach to, to the game, to life, you know, he got in trouble at times from, 
from taking it too lightly almost, right? Throws a perfect game and, you know, Lucas Giolito throws a no-hitter the other night and, and they're making a point on he's not talking to anybody and all yeah. this. And Mark Burley was the guy that was going to dugout and was like walking around like, hey, somebody talk to me. I don't, yeah. I, you know, I need this. <laughs> I need this personal interaction. So that's that's definitely, you know, the, the Chicago White Sox have been a love of mine for a long, long time. Sounds like most of the guys you followed were after they went to the new logo design with the, the, the current the socks on, on the black. I was thinking you may have thrown in a guy when they were wearing the, the retro softball uniforms with the, the shorts and the, the long stockings. Yeah, Kittle, um, obviously Ozzy and Harold Baines, you know, and, and I think, you know, Harold had a couple different stints with, with the team. And, and I think both Harold and Ozzy were maybe first-round picks back in the early 80s. So, so yes, those guys were absolutely um, were absolutely the guys, I think, when you think back and, and again uh, – you're, you're, you're probably right with McDowell. He was probably a little bit after the, uh, the change in logo. But, yes, um, you know, watching Kittle put, put it under the roof of, of old Comiskey, he really <laughs> had an uncommon um, power. Now, he, it was probably home run or strikeout with him almost all the time, right? But, um, but watching that, that team was, was fun. Um, it was probably – you know, that next group, right, with McDowell when I when I was really starting to get serious about that sport. So then also as a football guy, uh, probably a lifelong Bears fan, I'm going to guess there. I don't know that people in Chicago are allowed to be anything but lifelong <laughs> Bears fans. Some, some do, I, I know, get away with that. But I guess favorite Bear, and I'll, I'll put a stipulation with this, not named probably Butkus or Peyton. Oh, well, that's not <laughs> fair, right? Because was that would all- be the one, the two everybody goes to, I think. <laughs> well, because Peyton was, was my era, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the 85 Bears, and then you get into the 86 defense that was probably even better, right? And that whole team really in 86 was even better than 85. So, so I, I, the, the hard part to say someone not named Peyton, holy smokes, because you talk about just what the, what, what a running back he is, right? I mean, in, in all the ways, he, he literally gained yards every way possible. He ran through you. He made you miss. He was fast enough to beat you down the field. He ran around, you know, it, he was. And then what was incredible about him was he was a scary physical blocker, right? That, that when he was asked to do some of those things. And so, um, after that, boy, that'd be hard. Um, you know, I, probably just from an intensity standpoint and somebody that you just love to watch was Mike Singletary. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, again, in that same era because um, – He had that crazed look. I don't know that I would want to be a ball carrier or a receiver going across the middle with, with having him stare me down. Correct. And, and, and for as incredible of a player as he was and, and has obviously since turned into a great leader, a great coach – um, you had that whole team, that whole defense that that ultimately you might even say had a little bit more talent than he did, right? Arguably, there were some, I mean, Wilbur Marshall, Richard Dent, Otis Wilson, Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael. I mean, it, it, that list is just incredible yeah. when you talk about just all pros and, and the, the career that they had, but the unquestioned leader of that group, right? The glue that kept it together, the reason that they all with, with those varied personalities that they were, you know, so famous for on that team, the group, the, 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 the guys that kept those two, that group together was Peyton on offense and Singletary on defense. And I think that's what made it 
so fun to watch because you knew that it, those were the, the keys to their success. And then my final question for you here, I'm going to take this, I know here in your, your home in, in Charleston and you're, you're fortunate you have a pool in, your, in, a, in a pond in your front yard and to steal that, the Caddyshack line there when they got Bill Murray and Chevy Chase together is, I guess, what would be your preference, the pool or the pond? <laughs> well, uh, Ryan, that's a great question. Um, certainly do a, a fair amount of, uh, of floating in the pool in the backyard. I think that, um, but I do, I, I love fishing. Um, I'll admit this, that my daughter has way, my oldest daughter, Abby, has way more success than I've had there. She's pulled it out of that thing some monsters that I haven't had an opportunity to do just yet. Uh, but I, I keep chasing her, and, and the we've had a lot of nights as a family just sitting out there. Everybody's got a line in the water, and and truly, I don't know why it is. And maybe she's just better than the rest of us. But but Abby's the uh, Abby's the unquestioned um, leader of the fishing in the Cushing household. But yes, probably the probably the pond, although it's a, it's really close. Very good. Well, I appreciate your time, Coach. It was good catching up to you, and I know you guys will, will be out there on the field, and we'll be following you guys as, as the course of the year goes on, and we're able to get back and, and play against other schools in sometime during the spring. I appreciate everything, Rich. Really uh, thankful for all the support from from all the Panthers, and and really looking forward to to ha seeing having them have an opportunity to see these guys get out on the field because. They're, they're putting in incredible work, and, and I know our guys are just excited to, to get back out and represent the Panthers. All right. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Go Panthers.